0: Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me, I'm doing okay. I did have something kind of disturbing happen the other day. You know how sometimes when you get just wrapped up in your own head about things you'll miss an important milestone. I feel like this has been happening a lot more in the last year or so with the pandemic and all but this was a pretty important milestone and I can't believe I I just missed it. I don't even know when it happened. I guess I've just been really busy lately but I still I can't believe I didn't even know that I turned a million years old. Which is weird, because I thought my birthday was in April, but I guess once you get to be a million, these things kind of slip by sometimes. Which is why I didn't even realize it until the other day, I was drinking some orange juice, and I thought to myself, I feel like this used to taste better. So naturally, I did a Google search for, Is orange juice worse? And then I looked at my phone and realized what I had just done and thought, huh, I guess I'm a million. At which point, Metamucil just started shooting out of my phone and suddenly all of my targeted ads were for Senka and think pieces about the fact that nobody ever says you're welcome anymore. So I guess the upside is, if anybody needs to hire an Andy Rooney, I am available. Here's a little sample. They call them blueberry muffins, but there's more cake than there is blueberry. They should call them cake muffins with blueberries, but I guess that'd be a little bit too long to write on the chalkboard. So, if you need me to ruminate cantankerously on any subject, just let me know. And incidentally, yes, orange juice is worse. I'm Andy Rooney. Now, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's Synopsis Rhyme is submitted by Thomas Randall. Mr. Belvedere should know that jackets aren't for drop kicks, so put down that streaky china and listen to the synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Thomas. New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Number 47. September. 1988. Past tense. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drawded by Kelly Jones. Inked by Romeo Tangal, Lettered by Albert de Guzman. Colored by Adrian Roy. And edited by Barbara Kiesel. Teen Titan Roll Call. Jericho. Cyborg. Starfire. Nightwing. Raven. Beast Boy, Wonder Girl, and Danny fucking Chase. Previously in New Teen Titans, our titular titans ran afoul of a master of disguise slash ungulate enthusiast who called himself the Wildebeest. This hooved hooligan harried our heroes by dressing up first as an evil CEO, then as an obstetrician employed by Star Labs. Creepy! Wildebeest continued to pop up periodically over the past ten issues or so, each time nearly defeating the Titans with some sort of complicated scheme, the details of which were nebulous enough that he was able to claim that the scheme's failure was all part of some larger, ineffable scheme. It's been pretty annoying. Speaking of annoying... An indeterminate but seemingly interminable amount of comic book time ago, the Titans took in a new recruit named Danny fucking Chase, a 14-year-old super spy prodigy with a photographic memory who also had the most powerful telekinetic powers in the world. Oh, and a little while before that, there was a whole cosmic kerfuffle called the Crisis on Infinite Earths, which erased and or rewrote inconvenient aspects of the DC Universe's continuity. Godzooks! Has Star Labs updated their hiring practices since learning that their ranks had been infiltrated by the Wildebeest? How will Danny fucking Chase attempt to ingratiate himself to young comic book readers next? And which of our heroes has had their origin most affected by the aforementioned crisis on Infinite Earths? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so apparently not by revealing that he too is a comic book reader and Wonder Girl, of course. The Titans are hanging out in their T-shaped skyscraper and are installing a new hard drive into their computer. I guess those new Apple IIEs are trickier than I realized, because despite Cyborg being a computer genius, both in the sense that he's good with computers and in that he is a genius who is literally part computer, He's called in some IT guys from Star Labs to help him out with the installation. The head IT guy is a hippie named Peace Foster. Peace speaks in a combination of outdated 60s slang and technobabble and seems to generally annoy the shit out of everyone, but also seems to know his stuff. He finishes the work quickly and to Vic's apparent satisfaction. Once he and the rest of the Star Labs support staff leave, Dick is like, man, that guy was a weirdo. He didn't even use the cool slang from the 60s, like gear or check. That would have been Ginchy. Anyway, now that that old fossil's off smoking pot and extolling the virtues of Dr. Bronner's soap or whatever it is that hippies do, do the rest of you cool, hip, young people want to go watch old Humphrey Bogart movies with me and Coriander? It'll be fab! Most of the gang is hip to Dick's jive and thinks that sounds like a great plan. Beast Boy calls his occasional girlfriend Jillian, Wonder Girl calls her husband Terry Long, and Vic invites his physical therapist slash maybe girlfriend again, although they might still be broken up, Sarah Charles. Only Jericho and Danny opt out of the film fest. Danny has homework to catch up on, and Jericho is going to a museum with Tish, the woman who I guess he is still dating despite the fact that lately he's been hitting on both Starfire and Victor's ex-not-actual girlfriend, Sarah Sims. Sheesh, for a guy who uses his hands to talk, Joey certainly seems to have them full right now. Once everyone else is left, Danny hits the books. For about a minute. Then he gets tired and goes to bed only he can't sleep. So he digs through his comic book collection and reads for a little while. He still can't sleep, so he goes and gets himself a snack. Huh. Putting off work to get some sleep, then eating and reading comics instead of sleeping. Damn it, comic! Where do you get off making Danny fucking Chase relatable? On his way back to the kitchen, Danny walks by the newly updated computer system. He sees a file labeled Personal Histories, and decides to open it. Rookie mistake, Danny. The files you're looking for are probably going to be in a folder called Untitled Folder, or possibly Work Documents, or Tax Files That Definitely Aren't Pornography, something like that. What the file Personal Histories turns out to contain is a draft of the book that Jericho is writing about the Titans. Once Danny opens the file, a couple of things happen in rapid succession. First, opening the file seems to trigger some kind of spy software in the computer, and unbeknownst to the precocious polymath, an unidentified hacker is granted access to the contents of the computer. The other thing that happens is that Jericho, who has apparently finished with his museum date, comes up behind Danny and grabs his shoulder. Danny is startled. Rather than express any contrition about reading Joe's personal files, Danny reprimands the mutton-chopped Marvel for sneaking up on him. Fucking Danny. Although DFC hasn't learned sign language, Joe is able to convey to him that he didn't mean to spook him and that it's totally cool if Danny wants to finish reading his book. Which on the one hand is pretty cool of him, but on the other hand... He doesn't leave the room, so I bet he's going to do that thing where he just stands over Danny's shoulder and watches him read so that he can see the kid's facial expression, and if Danny reacts to anything, he's probably going to go, What? What? Which part? I mean, that's what I'd do. The first chapter of Joey's book is autobiographical. We get a little recap of Jericho's origin. To refresh your memory... Jericho's dad was Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke the Terminator, the notorious complimentary color-clad super-assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs. Before becoming the monocular menace that he is today, Slade had been an army guy. He signed up for a program where he got all his stats upped by getting experimented on by government scientists. Then, once his reflexes were all souped up, he started killing people for money. At some point during his new murder job, he pissed off some ninja terrorists, so the ninja terrorists kidnapped his son Joey. Deathstroke managed to kill the ninja terrorists, but not before they sliced Joey's throat, irreparably severing his vocal cords. After that, Joe's mom Madeline was of the opinion that Slade probably wasn't the best dad and maybe Joe would be better off living with her. Fair point. Being a single mom, Madeline often took her son to work with her, which seems reasonable, except that Maddie's job was being a freelance international super spy, so sometimes things got a little dicey. One time, they were out on a mission together, and some guy was about to shoot Madeline. Jericho tried to warn his mom, but couldn't on account of the whole slash throat thing. So instead, he concentrated real hard and was surprised to learn that he could turn into a ghost that could jump into the gunman's body and puppet him around. That was how Jericho found out that he had inherited some mucked-up super genes from his dad, which gave him creepy mutant powers. When Danny finishes reading Joe's origin, he's like, Hey, you're just like me. You inherited your mutant powers and grew up doing super spy stuff. Well. I wouldn't say he's just like you, Danny. For one thing, you don't have a perm or mutton chops. Also, I don't hate Jericho. Danny suggests that Joe might want to fudge a few of the details of his story before it gets published for security reasons. Joe makes like he's going to backhand him, which Danny interprets as, Thank you, Danny. You're a genius. He goes on to read the next chapter, which is Raven's origin. It goes something like this. Raven's mom Arella was from the 60s, so she joined a satanic cult because that was what you did back then. The cult tried to summon the devil so that he could get Arella pregnant and they could have an antichrist. Only they accidentally summoned a guy who was Satan adjacent, but not actually Satan. They ended up with an extra dimensional evil jerkhole named Trigon. Like Joey's dad, Trigon was an asshole. But unlike Slade, Trigon had twice as many eyeballs as most people, instead of half as many. Advantage Trigon. He also had antlers and was red. Trigon got Arella pregnant and then took off, because, like I said, he's an asshole. Some bearded guys in bird robes who hate the shit out of Trigon showed up and took Arella to a place called Azerath in another dimension where Trigon couldn't get at her. Nine months later, Raven was born. The weird beards of Azerath helped raise Raven and taught her to use the magic nonsense power she had inherited from her dad. She was also taught to suppress all of her emotions all of the time. Huh, same. Eventually, Trigon showed up and was like, Hey Raven, be evil with me. It's rad. Raven was like, No, I don't wanna. Trigon was like, All right but there's a chunk of me who lives in your bird-shaped soul tummy, and every time you have a feeling, it's gonna make you a little bit more evil, until eventually, you grow some extra eyeballs and turn into a jerk like me. Raven was like, "No, uh But after a while, she had some feelings, and grew some extra eyeballs, and eviled it up with her shitty dad for a little bit. But then she was like, No, fuck this shit. She beat up her extra-dimensional bad dad, and now that she's learned to let Trigons be bygones, she can have all the feelings she wants. Hooray! Danny finishes reading about Raven and is like, Neat! Hey Joey, on an unrelated note... Do you think the reason Beast Boy doesn't like me is because I remind him of Terra, the teenage Earthbender he had a crush on, only it turned out she was evil and tried to kill the Titans, but she accidentally eviled too hard and drowned herself in lava or something? Because I do kind of have the same haircut as she did. Joey signs, I don't know. Danny's like, okay. Then they read Cyborg's origin. Victor Stone was a star athlete whose parents, Silas and Eleanor, were big-deal scientists who worked at star labs. Vic and his dad fought all the time because Silas thought sports were dumb and wanted Vic to do science, which he was very good at. Also, Vic's parents weren't crazy about the fact that he joined a gang. One day, after training for the Olympics, Vic swung by his parents' lab and found that his dad had accidentally summoned a fart monster from another dimension that had just eaten his mom. Whoops. The fart monster ate a bunch of Vic's muscles before his dad could shoo it away. Silas managed to save his son's life by making him a bunch of robot parts that Eleanor had designed a few years ago, but Vic was still pretty pissed about the whole thing. Then he got over it just before his dad died of fart monster-induced cancer or something. Because of all of his robot parts, Vic is strong and fast and has lasers and sonic blasters and stuff. Danny's like, Okay, next! Next up is Nightwing. Jericho left all the names out to protect Dick's anonymity, but I'm gonna ignore that because I think you guys already know that Dick Grayson is Nightwing, and if you didn't, now you do. Anyway, Dick Grayson grew up in the circus as part of a family of acrobats. His parents were murdered by gangsters because in comic books, circuses are the most dangerous place in the world, with the possible exceptions of warehouses and abandoned amusement parks, but I think abandoned amusement parks are at least kinda circus adjacent, so there you go. Batman investigated the murder and felt bad for Dick, so he adopted him, gave him some Speedos and a cape, and trained him to fight crime as Robin. Eventually, Dick decided he wanted to start wearing pants, so he changed his name to Nightwing, and made a new costume. Hooray! Next up is Starfire. Princess Coriander was born on the far-off planet of Tamaran. Her planet was all about some ableist bullshit, and because her older sister, the objectively awesome named Princess Commander, was born weaker and unable to fly, Coriander was named the heir to the throne. Commander was resentful, which is understandable, so she sold out her planet to some slavemongering, farty space lizards who pressured her weak willed father, King Meander, into selling Coriander into slavery. Which is less understandable. After years of torture and subjugation, Coriander managed to escape her cruel captors. Hooray! Then both she and her sister, Commander, got kidnapped by some alien science jerks who did science torture at them. Shitty. The science torture hurt like the dickens, but supercharged the Tamaranian sisters and gave them the ability to fire powerful blasts of magic space fire. The sisters escaped and blew up the science jerks. Hooray! Commander headed back to Tamaran and proceeded to run the joint, Well, Starfire headed to Earth and hooked up with the Titans. Danny thinks Starfire's story was pretty fun. Guess he glossed over the years of slavery and torture. People tend to do that. He starts reading Beast Boy's origin, not realizing that the Titans are back from their group date and are standing behind him silently watching him read. Which seems pretty boring, but maybe they're planning on pranking him or something. Beast Boy's parents, Mark and Marie Logan, were scientists who were doing some research in Upper Lumumba, which is a made-up country in Africa. A green monkey that they were doing some tests on got loose and bit their son Garfield. Apparently the monkey bite gave him a disease called Sakutia, which is deadly to humans, but not so much to animals. So Mark and Marie strapped their young son onto a table and zapped him with a science laser that changed all his genes to animal genes so that he wouldn't die. The laser saved Gar's life, but it also turned him green and gave him the ability to turn into any animal he felt like. Neat! Then his parents got murdered. Bummer. Gar was adopted by a local witch doctor. Neat! Then the witch doctor got murdered. Bummer. Then Gar got kidnapped by some jerk who made him do crimes. Eventually, the jerk got caught and went to jail, and Gar got adopted by a team of superheroes named Doom Patrol. Neat! Then Doom Patrol got murdered. Sheesh, starting to sense a pattern here. Gar started hanging out with the old Teen Titans, then acted on some TV shows, then joined up with the new Teen Titans. Neat? Danny finishes reading, and is like, Man, sucks to be Gar. Beast Boy breaks his silence by piping up and going, "Nah, uh Sucks to be you, Danny! They start squabbling. Guys, guys, calm down. You're both right. It would suck to be either of you. Before the two tempestuous teens can reach an agreement about who it would suck more to be, the computer explodes. Oh. Turns out the mysterious hacker got all the information he needed from the computer. Wait. They just want an advanced copy of Jericho's book? I mean, he's planning on publishing it. I know hardcovers are expensive, but you could just get a copy from the library. The gang starts poking around to investigate, and it turns out that the hacker was out for more than the brochure-length vanity project Jericho was working on. They also took over the Titan Tower's security system. Oh, that makes more sense. The hacker sends a bolt of electricity out of a power generator to zap Danny. Hooray! I mean, oh no. Danny uses his telekinesis to grab some nearby rubber tiles to insulate himself. Meanwhile, Starfire is checking out the tower's library when suddenly everything catches on fire. Oh shit. Coriander thinks to herself, well... Since I can shoot fire out of my fists, maybe I can try to do that backwards and suck the flames into my fists. Huh? Well, it turns out she can. The books are saved. Hooray! The T-Jet starts blasting its engines and catching the hangar on fire, and the T-Helicopter, which I guess they have, starts spinning its rotors, which spreads the smoke from the fire and impedes visibility. Cyborg takes control of the situation. He tells Wonder Girl and Beast Boy to start trying to bash open the hangar doors while he runs over to the jet and rips wires out of it to get it to turn off. Then he's like, Raven, you know how to fly a helicopter, right? Raven is like, no, what part of my weird empath goth bird lady deal screams aeronautical competence to you? Vic is like, I don't know, the bird part? Raven is like, fair enough. I'll do my best if you can try to talk me through it. Vic is like, deal. He manages to get the jet to stop blasting fire everywhere, just as Donna and Gar bust the door open. With Cyborg talking her through the controls, Raven manages to tilt the rotors of the helicopter just enough so that it blows all the smoke out of the hangar. Hooray! Epilogue. Later that evening, the gang has some Star Labs technicians over to remove the devices that allowed someone to take over the building's computers. As the tech guys are doing their thing, Vic finds a realistic latex mask next to a set of love beads, a pair of granny glasses, and a handwritten note. It turns out that Peace Foster, the IT hippie who helped install the system update, was Wildebeest in disguise. Epilogue 2 As the Titans are finishing cleaning up, Danny's like, Hey Donna, how come your origin isn't in Joey's book? Donna's like, oh, I don't have one anymore. Ever since Crisis on Infinite Earth, nobody knows what my deal is or where I came from. Danny's like, well, judging from your derivative name and outfit and the fact that you have the same powers and gear, do you think you're connected to Wonder Woman and the other Amazons of Themyscira? Donna's like, nah, I've never even met her. I'm pretty sure any similarity between me and Wonder Woman is just a big coincidence. The end. Wait, what? Oh, then there's a pinup picture by George Perez of all the Teen Titans who appeared in the original series. It is very pretty. Gnark is there! Hooray! And joining us once again, via the magic of telephonic communication, is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going?
1: It's going great.
0: Glad to hear it. What you been up to lately?
1: I worked my last day at a job that I, for the most part, enjoyed. And I'm uh, heading on to the next adventure next week, so that's kind of a big thing. That's exciting. I am choosing to look at it that way as it's a bed that I have made for myself. Oh, those are the worst kind to lie in. It's, it's, it's what we got. I know,
0: but one of my favorite things about lying in a bed is thinking to myself, who made this crap? And, and when it's yourself, it's like, oh no, I can't even get mad at Sealy Posturepedic for this.
1: Oh, made like manufactured. I thought like at a hotel or something and you're like displeased with the tucking of the, Sheets.
0: I feel like calling that making the bed is a little presumptuous. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, sure, somebody else uh, designed the mattress and manufactured it, but what really makes this bed is uh, tucking the sheets in. Uh, what, do, what do you call it? I don't know. It's never really come up. I kind of just <laughs> sleep in a big pile lately. Uh-huh. Although, actually, I do get to sleep in a bed again soon. Congratulations. How soon? Tonight? What? Yeah, it has now been six weeks since Finley had his surgery and he no longer has to be in a crate all the time, which means that I no longer have to sleep on a futon on the floor next to him. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I am very, very excited about this. He got a clean bill of health. He is doing well. So I think that's cause for celebration
1: all around. Glad to hear it. I will join you in a drink, virtually. Sounds good. What you drinking? It is a cocktail in a can that our parents dropped off at my house because somebody had given it to them. What an odd thing to give to them. Yep, I think it was a friend of a friend's family member, a nephew or a kid or something who's working on this business. It's actually pretty tasty. You know, it's not my Cup of tea, I'm more of a beer or whiskey guy. But it's a berry lemonade with vodka in it. Weighs in at about 7%. It's inoffensive.
0: Inoffensive? High praise indeed. It's no chartreuse or coarse light. I suppose that's true. Are those equivalent beverages in your mind? They both are offensive to my palate.
1: In very different ways, I would imagine, though. Oh, yeah. One of them's, like, getting punched in the throat with flavors that you don't like. hmm And the other just makes me angry because it's bad.
0: I will say, Coors Light is the best beer to shotgun. Oh. Because you don't feel bad about missing out on all the flavor, and for some reason it just goes down a little easier.
1: It is easy to drink, as I, I recall. It's been a while.
0: Plus, uh, worst case scenario, you can use it to kill a werewolf.
1: The silver bullet? Ah. Mm-hmm. How about you? What is your uh, beverage of choice?
0: I am drinking a lager and a shot of Tolmerdew
1: whiskey. Oh, that sounds nice. It is. After I finish off this cocktail in a can, my next step is a Laurelwood Megafauna double IPA, but I'll try and save that for like the very end, because that's a big one. So by megafauna, is there just a lot of
0: animals in this beer?
1: Is this like a boba tea, but with chunks of meat in it? No, it's just a name that I guess they picked because they wanted to put a, I think it's a woolly mammoth on the cover. Not the cover, the can. Huh. Yeah.
0: Well, I would make sure that it doesn't have chunks of meat in it before you drink it, because that's going to interfere with the audio quality.
1: (laughs) All right, I'll let you know.
0: I appreciate that. You feel like talking about a comic book? Yeah, let's do it. Corey, what did you think of this
1: comic? Man, oh man, is that a cool cover.
0: It is a very cool cover. It is by a guy named, gosh, I think it's Ken Stacey. And I keep really wanting to call him <laughs> Stacy Keech. <laughs> I keep wanting to call him Ken Keezy. Man, we're both really wrong. But it is a beautiful cover. I like it a lot. I like the layout of it. It's just a really fun, interesting design and does kind of clue you in that this issue is just going to be a rehashing of characters' origins.
1: Yeah, it is, and it also really highlights that DFC doesn't have the normal, I guess, traumatic hero backstory that we've, I guess, become accustomed to.
0: Yeah, he is that rare young protagonist who is not an orphan.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And it's really highlighted on the cover because it shows all the various things that the Titans have gone through. And DFC is just in the middle, like, going,
0: hmm. Oh, I thought he was just like, and my traumatic origin is, I don't really understand how to hold a pen. That is a bizarre way to hold a pen. I mean, I had trouble holding a pen as a kid, too, so I can identify. I had to go through that whole uh, Zayner blosser method shit. Was not a fan. Is that the rubber triangle that goes on it? I think probably should have just gotten the rubber triangle. It was like a special mechanical pencil that was shaped like a triangle was the way that we went with it. But yeah, either way, I just wanted to hold it in my meaty fist. And, and they're like, no, don't do that. If I could still do that and had developed my penmanship that way, that would look crazy. I wish I had done that.
1: <laughs> well, never too late to try.
0: Oh, sure it is. (laughs) Really, any time after, I'm going to say 25 is too late to try.
1: Anything? Yeah. Wow. What have I been doing with my life? (laughs) I've just been trying things.
0: Effort's a young man's game, Corey.
1: Oh, a little late with the memo there, friend.
0: Sorry. So yeah, basically, most of the issue is just a rehashing of several, although not all, of the characters' origins. And there's a couple of purposes that this could serve. I think it would make sense to do this as a reset of, hey, we've never actually revisited what the backstory of the Titans is after Crisis on Infinite Earths, because that erased everybody's history and changed a lot of continuity. And so basically, Marv Wolfman has carte blanche, which he gave himself by writing Crisis on Infinite Earths, to tweak any aspects of the character's backstories that he wants to. And I was honestly a little bit disappointed that for the most part, he kind of just declined to do that. I mean, it's not a bad story. I think it's honestly one of the better new Teen Titans comics we've had in a while. But nothing new is really presented except for the fact that Wonder Girl again has no origin.
1: Yep, we learned that the world's greatest detective just still hasn't figured it out. And then I guess the other purpose the story served as to uh bring wildebeest back into things because he's in their computer now yeah
0: he swung by to dress up like a hippie and say hello uh seems like kind of a needlessly elaborate backstory that he gave his it guy character he's a super hippie who's an it genius who annoys everybody by using a bunch of outdated 60s slang
2: mm-hmm.
0: like okay this comic book in general does not seem to have a very high opinion of the 60s, I gotta say.
1: No, it does not. And and the other thing that's confusing about Peace Foster, that's the IT guy, is he travels with a uh, entourage of guys in military fatigues, one of whom appears to be carrying, it's either like one of those like 72-ounce gulp mugs, or it's like a large roll of toilet paper, I'm not <laughs> sure.
0: Yeah, I think maybe just we're supposed to infer that Peace is just a real sweat hog.
2: (laughs) Just uh,
0: (laughs) gotta always follow that guy around with a roll of paper towels, or he's just gonna leave a slime trail everywhere he goes. Fucking hippies. Oh my gosh. I think most of those guys are just supposed to be Starlab employees just helping out around the Titan Tower, which does beg the question, previously we learned that wildebeest had been employed by star labs as a doctor and now we find out he's also their it guy how many of the employees at star lab do you think are actually wildebeest like how many paychecks is he drawing from that company and why don't they have a better vetting process
1: they are doing so bad at their job of vetting people i wonder if sarah charles is really wildebeest as well oh man cyborg will be so surprised i mean
0: it would explain why she would be able to fly in from san francisco to go see a movie with him in this issue that that's such a long flight (laughs) for a humphrey bogart double feature come on yeah i mean i like humphrey bogart movies a lot I, I, i actually just watched we're no angels and that was a lot of fun but uh I don't think I would fly from San Francisco to New York to see it. Nor I. But, like I said, maybe it'll turn out that she's Wildebeest as well as all the other employees at Star Labs. I mentioned that the 60s were getting a bit of rough treatment in this book, and frankly, we've seen that from a bunch of 80s comics lately. Certainly the 60s were not depicted Beautifully in their impact on Sunshine's life and then lack thereof. But I don't think we've ever seen a description of them like we get in this one at the beginning of Raven's backstory. Her name was Arella, and she was a child of the sixties. It was a time of free love, of drugs, experiments, and altering mind and body and soul. The world of reality was warped, religion was ignored or corrupted into ceremonies in honor of darkness. Hers was a Satan-worshipping cult. It's like, whoa, was that really what the 60s were about?
1: Yeah, you know, Woodstock's basically a giant Satan fest,
0: right? You're thinking of Woodstock 99, Corey. Oh. <laughs> no, the 60s one had Sly in the Family Stone. You can't I'm... worship Satan to Sly in the Family Stone. It's I... too
1: funky. I think what you just read basically sums it up. I mean, it's, it's rough. It is weird. There really does seem to be
0: a real culture clash between the 60s and the 80s going both ways. Because I've been reading some other comics that came out in the 80s from creators who, like, came of age in the 60s, and there is just such a future shock about the 80s that is depicted in those. And then you also see from some of the slightly younger creators, or not even, like, Wolfman would have been of the same era, this real demonification of the 60s. It's just odd that there is that weird clash between those two decades.
1: Yeah, like they're trying to get back at one another. Mm -hmm. We've talked before
0: about how I bear no particular animosity or recollection of, say, 2010. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking recently, you know what I am not crazy about? What? All of those restaurants that opened that had the X with letters in each quadrant. Do you remember that graphic design style that it seemed like every business had for a while?
1: No, I feel like I should.
0: It would be like an X, and then there would be either one letter in each quadrant of the X, or like a letter on top, a letter on the bottom, and then an image on either side.
1: Oh, like those um, Pacific Northwest bumper stickers. They say PNW with like the X, and there's like a, a mountain or a
0: tree. Probably. Or an arrow. I'm thinking more just like the minimalist type of sign design that you'd see out in front of, say, a gastro pub that used to be some kind of a garage. Hmm. It's not ringing any bells for you.
1: I, I can't think of any businesses that had that signage, but I, I know the motif you're talking yeah. about.
0: Yeah, I don't care for that. And I feel like that's pretty specifically 2010s. Oh, there you go. So... I think that's an era that was rife with Satanism. Religion was
1: twisted into (laughs)
0: rituals. Hey, wait. Yeah, religion was twisted into piss-poor graphic design. Ugh.
1: What did you think of the art in this issue? Honestly, a little bit of a mixed bag. The use of shadow and the kind of dramatic treatment of some of the characters' faces was really... Cool. The use of technology was really cool. Mm -hmm. On the less positive side, the faces of some of the characters were not rendered as consistently as I'm, I guess, I'm used to. It doesn't really describe the division of labor on the art team, but I didn't recognize Kelly Jones's name. I don't know if that was a new person. It, It
0: is. This is his first issue on the Teen Titans. He's an artist who I actually like a lot, but he has a slightly abstracted style. I tend to group him a little bit with Sam Keith. Do you know him? He did The Max and that kind of artwork.
2: Oh, okay. Mm -hmm.
0: Kelly Jones, I'm not super familiar with his work. I definitely have read some of it. I think of him as the guy who makes Batman have very, very pointy ears. On his cowl, not as Bruce Wayne. Got it. But uh, you see a little bit of that in this issue, but that just gets more stylized as he becomes a... More confident artist. But you see touches of what would become more his style in this issue. And there are places in the issue where I think it works better than others. It's weird the way that I think scale is played with in this. uh, But I think it is done more in the scenes that are recollections. So it makes sense for those to be a little bit murkier. The thing that did bug me a little bit about the art, honestly, is how. Lumpy and almost tumorous, every animal that Beast Boy turned into was. Hmm. Look at the elephant on page 20. Whoa. What the fuck is up with that elephant? That is not a healthy trunk. It's like you tried to put a billion abs onto the trunk. And maybe that's an an indictment of Beast Boy. Maybe that's the kind of thing that he's always just like, oh, sure, yeah, I'll turn into an elephant, but he's going to be ripped. It's like, well, all of his muscles that you'd be using are in his trunk. It's like, well, then he's going to have a million abs on his trunk. Mm. But you see, that is the case with that elephant on page 18. The chimpanzee that he turns into has a bunch of weird tumorous lumps all over his face. And then on page 19, that rhinoceros has that going on. He just turns into a bunch of animals that are somehow just filled with peanuts or something makes sense for the elephant but less so for the rhino
1: well i mean you can put that on the artist or you can put that on beast boy we never really established if the animal forms come from his imagination or from some other sort of blueprint
0: i feel like he probably has a zoo book subscription it is his one saving grace as a character
1: man wouldn't it be cool if all he had were those like baby animal calendar Do you just turn into giant versions of, like, really cute baby animals?
0: I think that would be wonderful. Did you have a favorite origin that gets revisited in this? Gosh,
1: I don't know that I had a favorite. Like, they're all pretty harsh. Yeah. I kind of like the reveal for Jericho that he found his powers by accident.
0: Yeah, I think that is the only real reveal that we get in any of the Origins. I think that's the only new information we were given in them. And because his was the first, I think I was hoping for at least some touch of that with all of the characters. But yeah, I liked that he was out on a mission with his mom. He didn't know that he had that power that was born with him because of the experimentations his dad had subjected himself to. I think that was a nice touch, and it does lend a little something to his character. But with really the rest of them, it was, yeah, we've seen this actually kind of a bunch of times before. I almost wish this issue was an annual or something like that, because it feels like a standalone that doesn't need to be part of this storyline.
1: Yeah, it did in a way have that feel of well, okay, I want to reintroduce to Wildebeest, but uh, I don't really know what else to do, so I'm going to do this. That said, I didn't mind it. It was kind of like a nice refresher.
0: I can understand that, and I think it makes sense to introduce Danny to the characters this way. And I think the idea was that Danny would be an audience surrogate, that he would stand in for new readers, and so using him as the character who is learning all of this information in this book, I think makes a lot of sense. Like I said, it looks like a standalone issue, just the way that it is New Titans Origins, and the fact that at the end of the last issue, we were promised that this issue would feature the Red Guardian and Hammer and Sickle.
1: Oh, that's true.
0: And that has happened a bunch in the past five or six issues that we are told, oh, the next issue is going to be this, and then that issue will show up two or three issues later. At the end of this issue, we are again told that the next one will feature Red Guardian and Hammer and Sickle. So I think we probably will next time, but I don't know. It's fine. This seems like it should be like the 50th issue or a standalone issue or something else, you know?
1: Yeah, I get that. And that's funny that you point out the, you know, hey, coming next is... Every now and then, a little screwed up. I don't know. I have sort of a nostalgic (laughs) appreciation of that with everything being bingeable now. To know that, like, this is such a human process where people are fucking up and having deadlines (laughs) or creative whatevers.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I still mostly am annoyed by it, but.
1: Want your Red Guardian, huh? Oh,
0: gosh. Can't wait to see that OG Starfire. It's rehashing territory that we know, with the exception of Wonder Girl, which, man, I feel bad for her because they keep giving her an origin. And specifically, like, Marv Wolfman has given her origins. He's written, I think, three of them for her now, and they've been erased every time by him. Like, the first one he wrote was in, like, 69 or 70 or something like that. And then he did the whole who is Donna Troy story? And that was, I think, maybe my favorite issue of New Teen Titans. One of my favorite comic books, honestly. That was great. And now, because of Crisis on Infinite Earths, it never happened because she's never met Wonder
1: Woman. Yeah, I was kind of like, can we just bring back the Purple Ray thing?
0: Ah, I miss the Purple Ray.
1: That thing fixed everything.
0: <laughs> I think that Crisis on Infinite Earths was a good story, but I mentioned this when I was talking with Megan Bob a couple of weeks ago. I just disagree with the premise that what was wrong with the DC universe was that there was too much silly shit that had happened in it. Because it seems like that was like the raison d'etre of the Crisis on Infinite Earths was like, let's just clear out all the silly shit. And the silly shit's my favorite shit and the stuff that writers like they're going to bring back anyway. So it just makes it more convoluted. The idea that there has been a character named Wonder Girl who has an almost identical power set to Wonder Woman, has a costume that was clearly inspired by her, and they are completely unconnected in any way, is just so bizarre and makes
1: things seem even sillier, you know? Yeah, I mean, you could even say dumb. Yeah. (laughs) Like, why would you have the belt with the logo that looks like? the hat logo from the other character Uh
0: uh-huh why do you have a lasso why can you block bullets with your bracelets like to rehash origins wonder girl was initially the character who was introduced out of a misunderstanding that the writer had where he assumed that there was already a character named wonder girl when there hadn't been it was just wonder woman when she was younger and it was not clarified for like several years why there was now a separate character named Wonder Girl. They were just like, oh yeah, she's probably always existed. And they went through all the trouble to give her a backstory and make her into a fully fleshed out character. And then, oh fuck, I didn't think this one through. Mm -hmm. I gotta start all over. Which I think is going to be the next major arc that we get in this, is them trying yet again to tack a new retcon origin story onto Wonder Girl. And while I liked the last one that they gave her, and I think in part because I liked the last one that they gave her, I don't want to see that again. Yeah, I'm
1: I'm with you there. Hopefully the next one will stick and it'll be, I don't know, good enough? Yeah, I mean, that's the dream, I guess. I
0: just feel like Marf Wolfman is playing like Lucy to Wonder Girl's Charlie Brown, and he keeps pulling away the
1: origin football. I gotta say I do feel bad for this character at the end. Everybody gets their whole history explained and then she's like, Oh, I don't know anything, I'm so sad and then it's doubled down on where she says she feels like a Orwellian unperson, like she's just basically been edited out of existence by the powers that be. It's mm-hmm. like, damn, that is harsh. Yeah.
0: I do feel bad for her, although I would maybe push back a little bit on the everyone gets this elaborate backstory because this is a book that Jericho has written about the Titans and the entirety of the book seems to be, I don't know, what is this book? Five pages long? (laughs) And it's got the origins of like four characters?
1: Yeah, I think book is a strong word to use. It's maybe an outline.
0: I, I wonder about this. I wonder to what extent Jericho has led a kind of, I mean, I wouldn't say he has led a coddled existence, certainly. He has had his throat slashed by some uh, giant silhouette monster ninjas, as we learn in this issue. And, you know, he, he's definitely been through some shit. But I also wonder to what extent he is mommy's special boy, who is uh, always told how good he is at things. Like, I, I question how good he is as an artist and guitar player now after seeing his book. Because this does seem to be the kind <laughs> of book that you would, like, publish. I'm using air quotes. I don't know if you can hear them. When you're, like, eight years old by stapling a bunch of pieces of paper together. Mm-hmm. drawing little pictures on every other one.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's certainly not very detailed, but they did manage to squeeze it all into 20-some-odd pages. Mm-hmm. Danny Chase is established as
0: a comic book collector in this comic book, which is kind of nice to see. Yeah, I was
1: going to ask you about that. I don't recall it being so obvious in dc comics in the past that the characters that live inside the dcu are consuming media that's from that universe
0: well it depends on what era in the 50s flash stories uh when we first are introduced to barry allen as the flash He is a comic book collector back then and is a big fan of comic books. And his inspiration for becoming The Flash was reading comic books about the Golden Age, The Flash, which at that time, those stories took place on an alternate Earth. And the writer in Barry Allen's universe had dreams about what was happening on that other Earth that featured all of the Golden Age superheroes. And that's like what Earth 2 was. So there is a lot of that that has happened canonically. What was weird for me was to see a box of DC comics specifically, because we also see he had a box of Marvel comics (laughs) under the bed. Can't have that M on there. Mm -mm. But it made me wonder a couple of things that there was a box of DC comics. One, it seems like if there are DC comics in this universe, and it had been established that previously DC comics that were in this universe were the reflections of action that was happening on other worlds, but now that after the crisis, there are no other worlds, are they just filled with blank pages now? Or, since they're published by DC and they take place in the DC universe, would a superhero comic book in a superhero universe be like a true crime story? How does that work?
1: Are those documentaries? Well, he's got a Batman in it. Superman poster on his wall.
0: Yeah, but if Batman and Superman are real guys, and there are comics that are published about them as
1: real guys, would those be considered true crime comics? I don't know. It could be like cop dramas, just fictionalizations of stuff that they might or might not have done. But
0: cop dramas aren't usually based on actual people, are they?
1: I see what you're saying. So like... What if TJ Hooker was a real dude?
0: Oh, man. (laughs) That's the issue of what if we
1: need to have. (laughs) Right. He runs into the real Magnum P.I. in a bar. (laughs) Fast friends, instant enemies, who knows?
0: It would be weird to have posters of those guys on your wall if they were real guys, wouldn't it?
1: I would think that would be really strange, yeah.
0: So I feel like having a 10-year-old have a poster of Superman or Batman, if those guys really existed, would kind of be like the equivalent of a 10-year-old having a poster of Sully Sullenberg on his wall. I don't know. Something to think about. I kept finding myself getting frustrated with Danny fucking Chase in different ways than I normally do. He's still a little bit of a wise-ass, a little bit of a know-it-all. It It seems like Wolfman maybe was starting to take some notes on dialing that back a little bit, which I appreciate. But I feel like he needs to write down on a piece of paper, I have a photographic memory, (laughs) and look at it. Because he seems to keep forgetting that he has a photographic memory.
1: Oh, I'm going to fail school so hard. It's like, you're supposed to be wicked smart, dude.
0: N- not even just smart. He literally has a photographic memory. Like, it should not be at all difficult for him to absorb the information in those books, or at least to be able to, like, regurgitate it on demand. Also, why not just look at a book about sign language so that you can communicate with
1: Joey? Instead of every single time it comes up, just being like, oh, sorry, man, I totally meant to learn that, but I forgot again.
0: Yeah, I I really think he needs to just write down, I have a photographic memory, and look at that so that he will remember it this time. He also at one point says that Raven's backstory makes Star Wars seem like a Saturday morning cartoon. (laughs) I think it's kind of cute that like Star Wars is the most grown-up thing he can imagine. That is cute. Especially because I'm pretty sure at this point there was still a Star Wars cartoon, wasn't Droids still on around then? Oh gosh, I don't, I don't know
1: that franchise.
0: Oh yeah, it was about R2D2 and C3PO.
1: Oh, that's cute.
0: Yeah. Do you remember their anti-smoking PSA?
1: Oh yeah, it's not very grown up at
0: all. <laughs> no. R2D2, <laughs> is that a cigarette you're smoking?
2: <laughs> <laughs> boop, boop. Boop, boop
0: do you really think i don't have a heart yep pretty good i did notice as a possible workaround for danny not knowing sign language jericho has taken it upon himself to start drinking out of a mug that just has the word no written on it oh my gosh i love the no mug we did not see it happening in this, but I feel like every time Danny asked him a question, Jericho just raised the mug and looked meaningfully at it, or pointed at it.
1: Yeah, well, there is the scene where DFC starts like musing about Terra and and Beast Boy, <laughs> and Jericho just does the like whoosh, ixnay, <laughs> ixnay on the air, like gesture with his hand chopping the air. Mm-hmm. He does that one, and that is one of the very
0: few times we see. The translation of what Jericho is saying in a little caption box in quotations that says, I don't know. So it's like, "Okay, he's saying I don't know there. But that was kind of confusing, too, because we also do see caption boxes that we find out later are Wildebeest looking at the computer screen and thinking things about what he is reading there. And I did sometimes get a little bit lost as to which of those was supposed to be Jericho and which was Wildebeest or the mysterious person.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit confusing.
0: There is also another panel, because when he says, I don't know, he does look like he's doing a talk to the hand type thing. But there is another thing where Danny is asking Joe a question, and it looks like Joe is basically just about to backhand him. and. Danny interprets that very differently than I would. Mm -hmm. On page eight, yeah, Danny gives him some advice, and Jericho looks like, oh, really? Like, he gives him, like, a Joe Pesci raised eyebrow and raises his hand like he's gonna backhand him. And Danny's like, I think I get what you're saying. We have to watch out for each
1: other, right? It's like, I don't think that's what he's saying, Danny. That one's interesting, because, yeah, to... Most people, it does really look like he's about to backhand the kid. It's made me, though, wonder if the team did study ASL a little bit, because I think that's pretty close to, like, thank you, as you kind of put your hand shaped like that and your Hmm. fingers on your chin, and then, you know, bring your hands down so your palms open face up.
0: Ah, See, the only ones I remember, I remember Billy Goat and Ketchup, for some reason, from when my mom was learning ASL when I was a kid. Those don't come up as much as you'd imagine
1: boring i remember and bullshit and uh bird brain
0: (laughs) i i see i know the bullshit one you're talking about and i was never sure if that was a real one i imagine it wasn't it's 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 fun to do oh yeah because it does look like a bull taking a poop Mm -hmm. that's a good time i think different artists who have worked on this have had different levels of competence in ASL. I think Eduardo Barreto has incorporated a fair amount of it into Jericho, but I might be wrong about that because, like I said, I don't think Jericho talks about Billy Goats or Ketchup very much.
1: Well, if he does, he'll be able to vet the quality of his uh,
0: language. It is an odd choice with this comic book in general, though, that there is that Kind of othering of Jericho where he is the only character who never gets thought bubbles. It seems like that would be a, I mean, in some ways, a natural workaround for him not being able to speak. And I understand to an extent not doing that, but it also does, as I said, have kind of an othering effect on him, which I think is unfortunate.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting thought. I always assume they just sort of did it. So as the reader, you, you kind of get. That same sense of, like, if you don't understand sign language, you don't know what's going on with him.
0: Right. It puts you in the position of all of the other Titans, though, and very pointedly does not put you in his position, Mm -hmm. which I I think is a choice, you know?
1: Wouldn't it be fun to have one episode where you just get to hear everything he thinks about them, (laughs) like his frustrations?
0: (laughs) I would love that. And you honestly do get some touches of that in this issue. There is that one exchange where he is giving Danny the advice to just be himself, and Danny's response is, man, I wish I knew what you were saying. Oh, well, I guess I just have to try to be myself. And I actually thought that was kind of fun. Although they are sitting right in front of a computer terminal, they could just have their own in-person chat room with each other. Mm. Oh, well. There was a turn of phrase that I had never heard before. Jericho is describing his father's superpowers that he got. He's describing Deathstroke and how much stronger and how much better his reflexes got. And he says that they increased almost
1: geometrically. Is that a thing? I was trying to figure out. (laughs) Did he mean exponentially? (laughs) That's usually how it goes.
0: Or is it just like, no, he got he got triangles. He was getting better at circles and triangles.
1: Yeah. Is it a triangularly increasing muscular mass? Yeah, he just turned into a big triangle of a man. Mm-hmm.
0: How much better was he? He was trapezoids better. That is several sides better. Mm-hmm. Although that might be a real phrase. Like, uh, there's a lot about math I don't understand. Once we get past addition's tricky pal subtraction, I'm pretty much in the weeds, so.
1: Yeah, but I don't know if you speed things up almost geometrically.
0: (laughs) You wouldn't think so, because geometry, it could go either direction. Mm -hmm. Like, a tiny circle is still a circle, right?
1: Well, it's geometrically faster than a square if you are rolling it down a hill. Good point. I don't know, I got kicked out of math class when they were doing Donald Duck in Mathland. I might have <laughs> missed the, uh...
0: That's right, I forgot about that. You wouldn't stop laughing, right? I couldn't. I don't remember Donald Duck's adventures in Math magic Land being that hilarious.
1: Well, you probably hadn't had your first marijuana experience inadvisably before that class. That is true. I had forgotten that aspect of the story. Yes, it was dumb.
0: Yeah, I would guess that that would have increased how funny that movie was geometrically. Oh, at least.
1: <laughs> On the Beast Boy origin story, I did find it interesting that we got a name for the green fever. I, I hadn't heard that before, the like official name for it, the thing that mm-hmm. made him sick.
0: I think that has come up before, but yeah, Sakuria, something like that.
1: Yeah, I guess I blocked it out. And when they said that his parents were doing research in Upper Lumumba, I was like, that sounds a little bit familiar, but like, not like a place.
0: Yeah, that was a guy, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's spelled a little bit different, but he was a Congolese politician, like basically the independence leader after the Dutch got kicked out um, Hmm. up until 1960 or so. And it was one of those other, like, kind of uncomfortable things where, you know, they're just like, ah that sounds like this African thing I heard once from some country.
0: Yeah, I went through the same thing with that, where I was like, I'm glad they made it not just Africa, but could he not get out a globe or a map or an encyclopedia or something? Mm -hmm. Like, how hard is it to name a fucking place in Africa?
1: There's a lot of places. There really are. I could easily find one. And it's not like there's a na- uh, like a reason not to do that.
0: None that I could think of. A lot of other characters are from countries. Mm-hmm. Oh well.
1: Yep.
0: Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia?
1: We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff.
0: Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category do you want to start off with?
1: Shall we start off with some timestamps? You know what? Let's. Because there's a few of them. What uh, what timestamps did you find? A lot of it came from uh, DFC's room. He had on his wall a, a Tower Records poster, which, you know, that's not, I guess, specific to the late 80s, but it's certainly not around anymore. It's weird because it looked more than like a Tower Records poster, a
0: Tower Records, I don't know, library registration card. Oh, yeah, good point. It's like,
1: I think it was a calendar.
0: Okay, calendar would make sense. It really did to me look like one of the cards you would find in the front of an old library book, and I was kind of confused by that.
1: Yeah, it was like a knockoff Tower Records. It was like actually like records that people keep, not records people play.
0: I noticed Danny Chase's tiny TV VCR that was in color that was showing the late night with David Letterman logo on it. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a pretty specific timestamp, and man, I would have loved to have had one of those when I was his age.
1: Yeah, that was some uh, high-tech stuff. I remember uh, being pretty excited about the first one of those I saw, and man, did a My dad gave me a talking to about how, because it's all one thing, when it breaks, you are shit out of luck, so <laughs> don't do that. I was like, dude, I'm like 10, I can't afford to buy that.
0: That is a very gym thing to
1: do. This really set me straight, though, I tell you.
0: For other timestamps in Danny's room, what did you have?
1: He's got a Men Without Hats poster on the wall. Mm. Which also isn't a great timestamp, because yes, they were popular then, but I think they're still touring with the same safety dance song
0: <laughs> yeah but i bet they're not selling a lot of posters these days especially not to like 14 year olds
1: yeah and man that sent me down a rabbit hole and maybe i dragged you along too based on <laughs> our did. text messaging history <laughs> of watching weird 80s videos that's a creepy ass <laughs> medieval dance video
0: it is th- so i f- I thought they were Australian, but maybe it was just because of Lord of the Rings that looked to me like they were in New Zealand. So I was thinking of Men at Work, a band who may or may not have had hats, we just don't know. Turns out Men Without Hats is actually from Canada, which is kind of like the New Zealand to America's Australia. Maybe. Yeah, I was getting big like Wicker Man vibes from that, like I really was worried for the little person who was dancing around wearing a jester's outfit. First of all, he's one of the principal leads in a video for a band called Men Without Hats, and he is wearing a hat. That's not going to end well for him.
1: Yeah, no, there, there is a lot more headwear in that video than there should have been.
0: It also just seemed like some level of human sacrifice was not only not unexpected, but was in a sense inevitable. Yeah. Which I had never gotten from the lyrics to that song before.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It just left me feeling really unsettled overall.
0: Well, and it inspired me to watch the Total Eclipse of the Heart video by Bonnie Tyler, which I think I sent a link of that to you. My God, probably a couple of times a year, I think to myself, that video can't be as weird as I remember it. And then I watch it and I'm like, no nah, it's weirder every
1: time there's no excuse <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure that whoever directed that was like oh this is going to be so cool this means that and this means the other thing and blah 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 yeah i guess the alternative is is just some director being like i'm gonna make this weird as shit
0: it was just such a bizarre combination of totally surreal and hyper literal and then trying to paste it around the framework of, I think, a woman who becomes headmistress of a haunted boarding school filled with sex aliens, maybe? And then there's some ninjas and football players?
1: Oh, lots of athletes. There's swimmers and, you know, other sports.
0: Yeah, but then those, like, alien guys who are a choir, maybe, but who can shoot
1: beams of light out of their eyeballs. Because mm-hmm. that's with the turnaround bright eyes lyric. And I was like, I always just thought that meant somebody who is like, you know, like innocent or whatever. Eager. Yeah. I looked it up and I was like, yeah, OK, I <laughs> had the right idea for that. You just interpreted it literally by giving them glowing eyeballs that were creepy as hell. Mm hmm. OK, makes sense.
0: You know, what would have been kind of interesting because you mm-hmm. could do a mashup of that with Dune with the bright eyes.
1: Yeah, yeah, they had like a...
0: That's the direction they could have taken that video in. And honestly, I don't get to say this very often, but if that music video was directed by David Lynch, it probably would have made more sense. Yeah. We're getting the slightest, tiniest bit off topic. Did you have any other timestamps? Oh, those are the major ones. Let's take this party... To the Bozo! What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you want to focus on? (laughs) (laughs) Well, as that air horn and that sonar device that is perhaps a submarine trying to reach its mate in a tunnel (laughs) inform (laughs) us there is a double natty b in this issue bam on page one right out of the gate we get beast boy calling one of the star labs guys a bozo for staring at starfire then on page 20 we have danny fucking chase calling Beast Boy a bozo. Double Natty B, not bad. Double Natty B indeed. But those weren't the only insults in the comic book. There was one that stuck out to me because of how little sense it made. And I don't know, it's like a Zen Cohen of an insult. It kept seeming like it was very, very close to making sense. And the more you thought about it, the more it seemed like it should make sense but the way it would have made sense, you really don't want it to make sense. (laughs) I am talking, of course, about Danny Chase saying he wouldn't care if Beast Boy turned into a rat and got stuck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yep. That is not a phrase. Nope. And the more you think about it, the more disturbing it is. And it just doesn't
1: quite make sense. No, no, it's not. It's not good. Any other insults? Yeah, there was one that really cracked me up. I, I think it was from Beast Boy to Cyborg, where he makes a crack about Vic's engine backfiring and smelling bad. Yeah. Was he making a fart joke? <laughs> I think he was making a fart joke. Pretty sure.
0: All right. Well, good job, Beast Boy. Speaking of characters who did a good job. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans, until Danny Chase showed up, and also an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans. In this issue, who did you have as your Aqualad, and who did you have as your Beast Boy?
1: Well, let's start with the bad news. I went with DFC for my Beast Boy. As did I. So... Yeah, that computer's not password protected and whatever. It still seemed pretty Snoopy, the way that he went about amusing himself with it. Yeah. He also has arguably the most powers of any of the Titans, and uh, he didn't really use them to do anything to save everybody once everything caught on fire. No. And he's still being really pissy about not having his picture on the wall, even though he hates uniforms.
0: Yeah, fucking drop it, kid. You haven't earned it yet, man. No. I had Danny fucking chase for all of those reasons, plus, as I mentioned, for continually forgetting that he has a photographic memory. <laughs>
1: it's so dumb.
0: Conversely, as my Aqualad, I had Starfire for saving the library. In a way that made no
1: goddamn sense, to be fair, but. Yeah, that was a new one that she can absorb any fire. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> Fire is like solar energy, right? The sun's made
0: out of fire. I feel like they do that with every character at one point of another who has like a specific skill set. They're like, well, if he can shoot fire out of his fist, then he can also absorb all of the heat out of something else and make it very cold. Like, no, that mm-hmm. doesn't follow. Like, I can't turn my lighter into reverse. And I don't see why she should be able to turn her explosion into reverse and unexplode things around her and absorb all of the energy. It was nonsense, but I appreciated how interested she was in saving the books in the library.
1: Yeah, same here. I like the motivation. i super annoyed by the execution. Mm-hmm. Uh, not her fault. No. Cool, I guess, if you can reverse your powers or whatever. <laughs> yeah, good for her. For my Aqualad, I went with Borgi. He uh-huh. put out the T-Jet fire, which... If it had continued, it was probably the most dangerous fire on account of all the jet fuel. Well, at the same time, talking Raven through some remote tech support on how to start up a helicopter and angle it so its blades blow all the bad air out the window.
0: That was very impressive. I probably would have given it to him if he had figured out a way to work in a airplane reference i mean he's teaching somebody remotely how to fly a vehicle how hard would it have been to uh just you know mutter to himself i picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue you know (laughs) i had as my backup actually raven though for absorbing that information as well and as quickly as she did i think one of the things that cyborg says to her in his very vague instructions is you've seen me do this a million times i don't think we've seen them ride in that helicopter ever have we
1: yeah no i, I don't think the quality of ins- his instruction was great but having had the experience of trying to teach a few people how to drive oh no, yeah he, he did about as good as i did
0: i think that's fair i on the fly doing what is essentially technical writing um good for him it's not easy no Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this issue did you find most worthy of note?
1: Well, you can't get past Peace Foster, man. No, brother, you (laughs) sure can. It's a loud outfit. It really
0: is. I appreciated it. It was a very consistent look that he's got going. He's not great at flashing the peace sign. He uh, is holding the two knuckles adjacent to the V, a little bit higher up than you normally would. Perhaps his individual digit manipulation skills have atropied after years of mitten use in his wildebeest costume. But that is a very loud purple and orange shirt.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I guess if you're going to be a hippie tech consultant, that's how you dress? guess so. <laughs> Speaking of loud shirts... I really liked flashback young Victor's shirt. I think it's probably supposed to represent paisley of some kind, but he's wearing a button-down shirt that uh is not buttoned all the way down and has a bunch of I think probably fuchsia with a bunch of squiggles all over it. Mhm. It's a cool young hip guy shirt.
1: Yeah, it's from his uh joining teen gangs era. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They just want a clubhouse. Just wearing paisleys and beating people <laughs> up. God, the 60s were so wrong.
0: Was that supposed to be the 60s? I thought that was still the 80s, because he's he's only 20 now.
1: Well, time's a little, a little yeah, fluid.
0: DC Universe time is definitely a little wonky. I feel like that still has to be the 80s. Yeah, no, it does. not But just... I think in the 80s in the DC Universe, it was a lot like the 60s, because... I think technically it was probably the 80s when Robin and Aqualad and Kid Flash were going to Hatton's Corners and <laughs> encountering the teens who got kidnapped by the Tea Party Tornado Man.
1: Mm-hmm. Mr.
0: Twister. Very confusing chronology. Mm-hmm. If only there were a crisis on Infinite Earth that could clean that up. Really threw the baby out with the bathwater on that one. I appreciated on page nine, seeing that Raven had her Raven cloak as a baby. And I guess the people at Azerath were just like, eh, she'll grow into it. (laughs) Cause it really does look like there is just a baby wearing a full size Raven cloak there. And uh, I thought that was pretty fun.
1: Yeah. That's like LLB and that stuff lasts. Mm -hmm.
0: Excellent return policy in Azerath too. Mm. We also see that, uh, Danny's musical taste extends from Pink Floyd to U2 football jerseys. Yeah. In the opening scenes, he is wearing a Pink Floyd t-shirt. And then at the end of the comic, he has changed into what does look like a... I thought it was a football jersey. I thought it was a number on it, but it is U2. But it it looks like it's like a Green Bay Packers U2 football jersey. So... Mm -hmm. Some interesting cross-promotional branding going on there.
1: Any other fashion? We already talked about it a little bit, but the combo of Joey's no mug <laughs> and his uh super fuzzy fuchsia bathrobe. He's got a nice robe. I also liked uh Danny fucking
0: Chase's brown robe.
1: hmm Yeah, they're really like having a robe competition.
0: Yeah, robe hangout. You know, it's the late 80s, they're getting their golden girls on. <laughs> We don't get to see the scene where uh, Jericho gets out a cheesecake and they're all like, oh, we're going to get along
1: after all. (laughs) Another reason he's the worst, he gets that uh, bottle of 7-Up out of the fridge and leaves it on the counter. Uh, I
0: bet he leaves the lid off of it, too.
1: Yep. Going to go flat. Somebody else to clean up after him.
0: (sighs) Nothing worse than flat soda. Racism. But (laughs) also, I don't like flat soda. (laughs) It is very annoying. Yeah. Let's have us a battle of the band names. What band names were you able to find in the text of this issue?
1: You know, I guess the last Defenders issue I read was so rich with band names, this one seemed like a a little trickier. It was for me, too. I
0: think this is the first time I've only got the one.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a struggle to get two, and I'm not convinced of the quality of either. But the first one that I have is King Iander. King Iander? No, Meander. Okay, gotcha. And, uh, you know, it's just like one of those names where you're like, I guess they sound like new 1960s music, like um, Fleet Foxes.
0: Okay, like one of those newer bands that's really inspired by the Laurel Canyon sound. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I I gotta tell you, I just hate King Meander as a guy so much. I don't want to have a band named after him, but it is objectively a pretty good band name, I think.
1: Well, also, they are unaware of the relationship. They just think it sounds cool, because, like, you know, not all who wander are lost.
0: Oh, like gotcha, gotcha. But I think they really should take the political ramifications of that guy into account. Well, if they if they knew, they probably would. But you know, they're yeah, just but, like
1: oh, meander. But like with an apostrophe R, so it sounds cool. Bad job, guys. Yeah, they should read more comics.
0: It, it'd be well. It would be like if like uh, I don't know. Is Franz Ferdinand a real piece of shit as a guy?
1: Uh, I don't know. Is his history? so well, but he's definitely in... There was some... I
0: think I just assumed he was Archduke Ferdinand. Is that who that is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we know canonically he looks a lot like Big Bird. Well, Big Bird was pretty great,
1: so maybe he's okay.
0: Alright, then I guess that one's a good band name, but Franz Ferdinand is already a band regardless. My choice for a band name, I think I'm gonna go with a synth punk band called the Plastic Snugs. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> i don't know what a snug is but i like it
0: in the context of this book it is what they are calling the slip covers for comic books i had not heard them referred to as that but maybe in the 80s they were so uh potential time stamp there as well mm,
1: but snugs. i think the
0: plastic snugs sounds like a pretty solid band honestly
1: yeah they probably think of men without hats as like total posers for being synth pop <laughs> like yeah, I think
0: they're, like, kind of hard-edged, but, like, all of their songs are just, like, super sincere and about friendship. I would listen to that. Yeah, me too. They sound pretty great. Mm-hmm. What was your other band name? Lessons in Combat. Ooh. That's not bad.
1: Yeah, they're probably more, like, they really like the Mortal Kombat movies, <laughs> so they write <laughs> metal songs about them.
0: Okay. I was, for some reason, picturing that, Uh, you know that Bouncing Souls song? These are the quotes from our favorite 80s movies.
1: Oh, I don't, but I could see that working.
0: It's like a punk pop song where it's just them playing like guitar riffs, and then there'll be a quote from an 80s movie that they'll all say. Mm. But I can kind of see Lessons in Combat being that, but about old war movies.
1: Oh. It's like... Lee Marvin is the best.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's actually a quote from an old war movie, but, yeah, you know, something like that.
1: That's like something an old war movie fan would say.
0: Oh, okay, so maybe they just overheard that in the movie theater and they thought it was a line of dialogue. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, because kids are dumb. Sure. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I also realized I could not think of a single war movie quote, despite having seen a fair amount of war movies. Fire in the hole. I don't want to shave in cold water. I do not like this. War. Huh. Good God, y'all. <laughs>
1: what is it good for? <laughs> that
0: was uh, famously a line from uh, Full Metal Jacket. Right? Oh, yeah.
1: What is your major malfunction? <laughs>
0: Absolutely nothing. <laughs> so of those three choices, what do you think is the correct choice for our battle of the band names here?
1: Well, shit. How do you feel about throwing the, uh, the synth pop sounds of the plastic snugs at whoever it is? I feel pretty good about it, honestly. All right. Okay, the tough but sincere
0: synth pop punk of the Plastic Snugs. I think they'll do okay for themselves. Let's give it a shot. Corey, who did you have as your president of the drama club? Which character acted, or rather overacted, in the most dramatic fashion in this issue?
1: Well, there was certainly no shortage of choices for this category. I wound up going with DFC for on page four. I mean, okay, yeah, ostensibly he's probably just supposed to be yawning, but it really looks like he's just standing in the middle of a room screaming because he's so mad that he can't sleep. Well, I mean, in his defense, it feels like
0: being hit across the face with a ball-peen hammer. Yep. Oof. I mean, it is a very evocative description. It is not my experience with insomnia. But yeah, being about to drift off, then suddenly as if a large ball-peen hammer were to strike him across the face, he is up again, a curled-up ball in a
1: red-rimmed world. Oof. That's rough.
0: Yeah, that seems like more than just insomnia, I gotta say.
1: Yeah, no, he should see somebody about that. And it sounds like it sucks, but that said, if you look at that panel, he's... Grabbing his hair, pulling on it, and staring at the ground and just being like, ah, like his mouth open really wide. He looks like a claymation Annie Lennox in that. <laughs>
0: wow, It's such a striking image. I actually really like that panel a lot. But uh, yeah, it, it is a, a fairly dramatic move on his part.
1: I feel like anytime you're doing something with your own hair, with your hands, that's just a little over the top.
0: See, I thought that was just supposed to be a yawn, but... Oh, it probably is, but I just read it the other way. That's fair. I had Wildebeest as my president of the drama club. He came up with such an elaborate backstory for his IT character and decided, like, he was raised in the 60s and he's never escaped it and he's a total hippie but also a tech genius. It's like, you could have just been a guy named Larry and not drawn attention to yourself.
1: Man... Wildebeest is so capable and so dumb (laughs) at the same time. I know. It's really frustrating. See, Star Labs needs to do a
0: purge of their employment records and just be like, okay, so uh, we've got eight regular IT guys and this one guy who's a super hippie. We've got uh, nine doctors who uh, seem to be uh, pretty similar in a lot of ways and one who's always chain-smoking and saying ominous shit and wearing big medallions under his unbuttoned shirt okay we got six lab techs and one of them is for some reason a dickensian chimney sweep (laughs) like
1: that seems weird but he's a good lab tech so or just like have one of your security guys like go around and like pinch everybody's cheek and pull real hard (laughs) (laughs) see if a mask comes off i feel like hr would put a stop to that who knows will may work in hr
0: Oh, probably, yeah, that would explain why one person in HR is always wearing a big floppy sun hat all the time.
1: (laughs) All right, I'm moving on to the megafauna. Oh, good luck. Let me know how that goes. Any meat chunks so far? Uh, no, it seems smooth, just smells like
0: uh, beer. Okay, that's probably for the best, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little disappointed. What was your favorite panel in this issue?
1: Pretty much all the depictions of, I guess, Wildebeest's point of view from inside of the computer looking out were really interestingly rendered, but in particular on page five, the one where Jericho comes up behind DFC and puts his hand on his shoulder and scares the shit out of him. Mm -hmm. It looks like something out of like an 80s horror movie.
0: Yeah, it, it's like it's like a halfway point between Lawnmower Man and that Aha video.
1: Oh, like the black and white animated one? Yeah, yeah, totally.
0: Those are all very, very well done. I think my favorite is honestly one that you pointed out in uh, discussing how dramatic Danny was being. The uh, claymation Annie Lennox, Danny Chase. I really enjoyed. I, I just thought that was cool. He also looks a little bit like Beaker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't don't lump my favorite muppet in with this knucklehead.
0: You know, I've never actually seen Claymation Annie Lennox and Beaker in the same place together.
1: Oh.
2: Hmm.
0: hmm. But and this is probably a little bit of a cheat, I can't give my favorite panel to anything other than the George Perez pinup that ends the issue. It is a full page spread of the 70s roster of the Teen Titans, many of whom I don't think we've ever seen George Perez draw before. It's so cool looking. It
1: warms the cockles of my heart to know that John Gunhark finally, finally made it out of being lost in Jupiter Towers. I think this is a flashback,
0: so I think he is probably still in Jupiter Towers course. Oh, poor bastard. Sorry. I-, I mean Robin wears pants these days. That's no, true. And yeah, I don't think that hyphen girl is still rocking that outfit, but man, it is so nice to see John Ganark and Lilith and even Golden Eagles there. You got Beast Boy, who that is one thing that maybe got tweaked about his origin. It seems like it was implying that he had played a larger role in the original Teen Titans lineup than he did, whereas in reality, he, I think, showed up for like three issues for the West Coast Teen Titans crossover event. But honestly, Jericho may have just gotten that from listening to Beast Boy. Probably there was a pretty significant portion of his research that was done from interview with the subjects. So I can see Beast Boy really playing up his role with the OG Titans. But damn, it's so nice to see George Perez's artwork again and to see all those familiar faces. And, uh, you know, even Speedy, it was nice to see.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's really cleverly rendered too, where all the characters are kind of looking at you and either coming through or sitting on two T's that on closer inspection appear to have pages between them, like other uh, giant comic book cutouts or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Really cool. Yeah, there's a lot going on and uh, I likes it. Well, Corey, I have just one final question I have to ask you. WAPOOT! In the year of our Lord, nineteen eighty nine and the month of our Lord, December. What was Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Wapoot.
1: So this one's um gosh, I guess a little bit less globally impactful than uh a lot of these segments are. This is kind of more of a just hanging out with your buddies, down to earth kind of time. Aqualad had come to the city to visit his pals the Titans at the tower. It was chilly. Mid December, So they decided to get together and, and watch a premiere of an animated program, a Christmas special, on December 17th. So they got some cozy blankets and a whole bunch of free sodas and sat down and together watched Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire, the debut of the uh, Simpsons Christmas special, oh. in which Bart wants, for his Christmas wish, to get a tattoo. His mom doesn't like that. She spends all the holiday budget getting the tattoo removed. And then his dad, Homer, learns you know, he's not going to get the bonus at work and takes a job at the shopping mall being Santa, but doesn't earn enough money for presents and loses all his Santa earnings at the dog track on Christmas Eve, but winds up taking home the, the dog that, that lost, who is Santa's little helper. And, and that makes everybody happy. It It's uh, pretty heartwarming.
0: That is certainly what happened in that episode, yes.
1: <laughs> I, I couldn't find anything this month that wasn't, like, really terrible.
0: Fair enough. Well, that's part of what Aqualad was up to, watching that first episode of The Simpsons. I remember watching that as it came out and thinking, this is amazing. And then after watching The Simpsons for a couple of years, going back and watching it and being like, huh.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't seen any recent ones. It's, can you believe that it's coming into its 33rd season? What? In September.
2: Wait, what?
1: <laughs> December 17th, 1989. There's been over 700 episodes. It's the longest-running animated American sitcom. Longest-running American scripted primetime TV series. Longest-running American animated series. And to think that's all because of Aqualad
0: (laughs) watching it that one time.
1: Yeah, I couldn't find a way to (laughs) make him responsible for The Simpsons. Did you see
0: they uh, named a local bridge after Ned Flanders? I did. In a very circuitous way, because Ned Flanders was named after the street that the bridge is on. And then so the bridge had been named the Flanders Crossing, and now it's the Ned Flanders Crossing. So. That's kind of a fun little Ouroboros. Got a plaque that says Heidily Ho, neighborino.
1: Yeah, I just saw they unveiled that. Matt Groening, I don't know if that's how you say his last name. He's mm-hmm. a Portland guy, so there's there's plenty of Portland and uh, surrounding areas references.
0: hmm Probably everybody knows this, but uh almost all of the characters are named after various streets in Portland. hmm But that wasn't all that Aqualad was probably up to in December of 1989. For the rest of what he was up to, you kind of have to go back a little bit. Not, not everybody knows this, but Aqualad and Beaky, being so naturally charismatic as they are, have been at various points asked to kind of Cyrano de Bergerac it up for various people. They speak inside of their earpieces to them when they're asked to speak extemporaneously year and a few months before December of 1989, Lloyd Benson had been very nervous about participating in the vice presidential debate. And so he asked uh, Beaky and Aqualad to get in his earpiece and if they thought of anything really, any really good zingers they could use to help take down that bastion of wit and wisdom that was J. Danforth Quayle. Oh no. And uh, I gotta say, Lloyd Benson got his money's worth, because at one point, Dan Quayle, who had been accused of being too inexperienced to be vice president, said that he had about the same amount of experience that John F. Kennedy did when he was elected president, and when Beaky and Aqualad heard that, they went fucking nuts, because we all know the special relationship the Teen Titans had with John F. Kennedy, having rescued him from alien planets and having been sent on their first missions by him. Aqualad heard that and he was just like, you son of a bitch. I knew Jack (laughs) Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine and you, sir, are no Jack Kennedy. And to his credit, Lloyd Benson edited out the you son of a bitch. But other than that, he parroted what Aqualad had just said to him and pretty darn good zinger. After that, Aqualad and Beaky kept following the presidential election and were dismayed to find that George H.W. Bush and Dan Quayle were in fact elected to the White House, but they didn't let it end there. At least Beaky didn't. That whole year, he just kept sending Dan Quayle these taunting letters (laughs) that were just like, you? Jack Kennedy, and then just a big, like, does not equal. They were crude letters. They weren't particularly well worded, but Beaky is a bird. So he is to be forgiven for not having the best grasp of the subtleties of the English language. But they started freaking Dan Quayle out. He didn't know who Beaky was, but these letters were all just signed Beaky. And so as Christmas was approaching, these letters were getting more and more frequent. And Dan Quayle was just like, beaky, beaky. He's everywhere. He's going to get me. He couldn't concentrate on anything, which is why on December 20th of 1989, Dan Quayle sent out 30,000 Christmas cards from the White House that said, may our nation continue to be a beacon of hope, but beacon was spelled B-E-A-K. Oh, because <laughs> Beaky was living rent free in Jay Danforth Quail's head, and I gotta say he had a lot of space to stretch out in there. Oh my God! Yeah, I zinged him too. I'm a real Beaky in a lot of ways. If you don't succeed, you run the risk of failure. You know that the important thing is after that incident. Dan Quill learned his lesson about the importance of proper spelling and never made another spelling mistake again. And that is what Aqualad was up to in December of 1989. I mean, it was really more what Beaky was up to, but Aqualad was busy watching that TV show that month. hmm Well, Corey, thanks for uh, joining us and uh, talking some new Teen Titans. You are
1: welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Enjoy your mega fauna beer, which I don't know, you should maybe look into suing them for breach of truth in advertising. Is that a thing you can sue people for?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, well, you know, maybe uh, get yourself some money to buy yourself a real beer that's filled with chunks of meat. Ugh. Yeah, it doesn't sound great. If you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Titan Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294. Or, as this is the future, we can be reached electronically at TTWasteland at gmail.com. We're also up on various aspects of the socials media. Just, uh, you know, hack into the Titans' mainframe of their computer and go to Chapter 7 of Jericho's book, and when you get to the end of his one-paragraph chapter about the fact that Wonder Girl doesn't have an origin, you'll probably find a link to, I don't know, Facebook or Twitter or one of those places, and we'll be on there. And hey, if you can't find us there, there's still one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? I'm going to be
1: baking some delicious bread.
0: Very nice. I am going to be sleeping in my goddamn bed like a human being. Yeah.
1: Congratulations.
0: I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved sleeping on that futon on the floor in your heart. It was so nice. I got to just, you know, pretend I was back in my 20s. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, I gotta say, I am very much looking forward to sleeping in a goddamn bed.
1: So nice. I recommend it.
0: And, uh, yeah, I, I am glad that so many of you have also found room for Finley in your heart as well. Got a lot of questions, people asking how he's doing, and how he's doing is great. He is healing up very, very well and can now move freely around the house, thank God. Yay. Hey. If you would like to help support the show financially, you can do so by checking us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material. There is the podcast What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There is also a whole bunch of bonus video content, in the form of me doing little reviews of classic comic books. Been enjoying doing those, and there's a lot of them up there. There's also some other bonus podcasts. There's just a ton of stuff that is bonus content exclusively available to our donors as a thank you for supporting the show and uh, keeping us going. I really, really appreciate that, and so thank you. If you would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, Corey, what's a way people could do that?
1: Hmm, I think they could leave a review wherever they listen to their podcasts. What
0: would be an example of a review that people could leave wherever they listen to their podcasts, Corey?
1: They could say something like, let's see, we're not going to talk about bees or jellyfish. No? No, I feel like that ship has sailed.
0: Oh boy, but what a ship it was.
1: Is better than a megafauna beer with chunks of meat in it.
0: I like this podcast more than I like the chunks of meat in my megafauna beer. Five stars. A mega megafauna beer. Giant cryptid meat. Just chock-a-block with Loch Ness Monster steaks and Bigfoot fillets. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, boy, what a tasty beer.
1: Oh, that sounds gross. Another thing people could do is tell other people about the show.
0: Yeah. Well, who's a person people could tell about the show?
1: Um, a a teacher. Okay. (laughs) Or another adult that you trust.
0: Sure. You could send a series of taunting letters to Dan Quayle about the show. He's not dead, is he?
1: I was just wondering that. I don't know.
0: Either way. I guess it's a meaner taunt if he's dead, but (laughs) also, fuck that guy.
1: I how No, that's not going to—I mean, yes, I agree with you, but I think what we mean is to tell people who might listen to the show about the show.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, dead people have very poor download numbers. We test very poorly demographically with the deceased.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so tell a Although living human— huge
0: potential fan base if we could tap into that market.
1: Yeah, we don't have the uh, technology.
0: Oh. Uh. All right, well, tell some of your living friends about the show. That's right. If you think they might like it. And you know what? If you don't think they'd like it, give them a try. You never know. People can surprise you. It might turn out that that person that you didn't think would like the show is actually Wildebeest. Does he have an outlandish accent? Is he wearing a big floppy hat? Does he work at Star Labs? Pro- yeah your cubicle mate at Star Labs, it's actually Wildebeest. And you know what? I think he would enjoy the show. Yep. And you should also send him a series of taunting letters because also, fuck that guy. Yeah, him too. Corey, do you think Dan Quayle is really Wildebeest? Uh... His most cunning disguise yet.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Nah, you're right. He would he would give uh, Dan Quayle like a... I don't know, like some giant Groucho glasses or something.
1: He just wouldn't have said stupid shit all the time either.
0: And he might have. We don't know how method he is.
1: Uh, that's a good point. When he was Peace Forrester, he was pretty hippie. hmm mm. Yeah, he probably would have stayed on message. Yeah, I, I,
0: I like to think so. Anyway, until next week. Turn it around, bright eyes, because there's an alien sex ninja ghost behind you.
1: (laughs) Did we talk about that on the show?
0: I don't know. Either way, they should turn it around. I think we did.
1: Okay. That is such a weird video. It is. But yeah, good advice, I guess. Bye. Bye.
0: Weren't wine coolers carbonated? Were they? I've never actually had a wine cooler.
1: No, I just remember that being like sweet, thin wine. <laughs> but their spritzers were were bubbly for sure. That was a big thing in the eighties, right?
0: Yeah, I, I was, as far as I can tell. I mean, I was like twelve when the eighties ended, so.
1: that's about how old I was when I had my first Bartles and James. I badgered my mom until (laughs) letting letting me drink one of hers. Well, I mean, they were pretty clearly
0: marketed at kids. They got those two sexy dudes sitting on the porch, Bartles and James, who wouldn't want to be or be with them.
1: (laughs) I thought those men were hilarious.
0: Hello there. My name is Frank Bartles, and this is Ed James. You know, it occurred to Ed the other day that between his
1: fruit orchard and my premium wine vineyard, we could make a truly superior premium grade wine cooler. Thank you very much for your support.
0: Oh, boy, we are in sync today. Mm. Dibs on J.C. Chasse. Oh, fuck.
1: <laughs> I don't know anybody else in sync.
0: <laughs> you know Justin Timberlake. I think you probably at least heard his name before.
1: Oh, I didn't know he was in that
0: band. <laughs> yeah, you can bring sexy back.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that's a fair deal. That'll be fun for you. I'll do that. You blow up the love. Uh-huh.